Hello, welcome to Terrain. This episode is a conversation that I recorded with Professor Catherine Williams. I was really keen to catch up with her because she's one of the most senior women in the school that I'm part of, which is the School of Ecosystem and Forest Sciences at the University of Melbourne. I found it really interesting to hear the things that have helped Kath develop her career, and I also found that her advice to be persistent in partnership with self-reflection to be really effective. Anyway, I hope you enjoy our chat. Joining me today is Professor Catherine Williams, who's a Professor of Environmental Psychology at the University of Melbourne. Thanks so much for joining me, Kath. Our pleasure, Sandra. My first question to you is, what is an environmental psychologist? Great question. (laughs) So we study uh, human relationships with physical environments. Uh, It's got an interesting history in that it it more or less developed out of architecture. So people trying to think about the built environment and how we can design it in ways that help people function well. So people can find their ways through hospitals uh, so that environments are shaping people's behaviour in a way that it suits what's required at that point in time. Um, But, of course, my interest has always been in people's relationships with more natural environments, uh, with forests and grasslands, uh, with non-human species. Um, So, And that's a big area of study, particularly in, I guess, areas that intersect with conservation um, Mm -hmm. and how we can understand human relationships with the rest of nature. Is it a growing area or a relatively new area, do you think? Uh, so I would say you, you see threads of it through the 60s and then 70s. So mm-hmm. I guess in that sense, it's relatively new. Um, it's dispersed uh, globally. So there are a very small number of us in Australia. Most of my colleagues who identify as environmental psychologists are probably more in Europe. Um, and is it growing? Um I'm not sure, I don't have the data, Sandra, so I'm not sure if it's growing. (laughs) (laughs) But I think what is growing is people's understanding of the relevance and importance. And I think that's, we've seen that particularly uh, as concern about climate change has emerged, Mm. that there's been much greater interest in understanding how psychology can contribute to solving some of the challenges that we face in that space. How did you get to be an environmental psychologist. Tell me about tell me about your career. <laughs> okay, how did I get to be it? So I, I studied uh, psychology. So as an undergraduate, I actually was here at the University of Melbourne, uh-huh. uh, did a Bachelor of Arts with a psychology major. Um, I then had quite a formative experience in that I um, married a forest scientist. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Moved down to Gippsland, um, had a couple of kids, mm-hmm. um, and I was actually, I finished off my honours year in social psychology. So at that time, I was thinking about human relationships and how we relate to one another as humans. Um, over the, the course of that time of, of living in a timber town, um, engaging and beginning to understand the world of forest and its management, I started posing questions around how my own field might uh, intersect Mm. with the kind of interesting stuff I was seeing there. So living in a timber town, I saw a lot of conflict. I was actually, I was part of a group where we were um, trying to uh, think about how to live more sustainably just around the home. And 
I had these really experiences where interesting experiences where people were telling me about um, having their letterboxes blown up because Whoa. they had protested logging in this small town. Um, and I really saw passion about forests and forestry from a people with a real range of perspectives on forests mm. and what's the right way to manage them. And I guess um, my field says make a beeline to that and uh -huh. understand, you know, where does that conflict come from? So that was the beginning for me. Wow. I didn't, at that, I didn't at that stage know that there was even a field called environmental psychology. So it was only by thinking how does my field yeah. illuminate that kind of conflict that I started reading and discovering, oh, people have actually thought about these questions over many years. Oh, that's great. And so did you go on to further study after that? What happened next? Uh, what happens next was um, I, I started, first of all, a, a research assistance role um, at what was then Monash Uni down in Churchill in Gippsland. Mm -hmm. um, and then the people I was working with there really encouraged me to think about doing a PhD. So when I started a PhD, these were the questions in my mind were about how people relate to forests and, and environments more broadly. Um, yeah, so it really went from there. I, I was interested in the beginning of my PhD in understanding that conflict. I think that the really the, another strange twist that happened for me during that time was um, the first study I did was, con, was interviews with people with this diversity of perspectives on forest management. So I talked to people who were four-wheel drivers and hunters and loggers and um, people who were, you know, tying themselves to bulldozers in the forest and people who were field naturalists and had, you know, real mix of views on forests wow. and how they should be managed. And I was looking for the differences, trying to understand why they were taking such different perspectives. But the thing that really grabbed me was, in fact, what they had in common was that so many of these people were talking about the forest uh, through what I came to think about as a spiritual kind of connection with uh -huh. forests, that people would talk about the forest as absolutely magic, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like a cathedral. Uh, they talk about moments that were just amazing where they were just stopped in their tracks and moments when they felt at one with the world and I realized that, that through this thread there was this similarity of people feeling deeply connected mm. um, with the forest and so then I made a beeline not for the conflict but for the similarity and for this really this theme of spirituality which really resonated with me so that's that became then the focus of my PhD and I'm kind of went from there what happened next I worked on that PhD for three and a bit years had another baby along the way uh -huh. I might mention um I I suppose I was one of few people then in Australia who had uh, a depth of expertise in thinking about human environment relationships yeah um and at that point the University of Melbourne was recruiting a research fellow in um psychology of nature Fantastic. Um, <laughs> it was for, for some research that was funded by the federal government that was trying to understand uh, landowners, rural landowners, and, and their relationships with remnant vegetation on their properties. Mm -hmm. um, so I was recruited to that role and um, so came to the University of Melbourne, um, shifted from that early research fellowship into a teaching and research position. Um, and I've been here 
sort of 22 years now. Gosh. <laughs> did, did you always think you'd be a scientist? It's really interesting, and that question is interesting in two ways. One is, did I think I'd be a scientist? You remember I have a Bachelor of Arts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, followed by a PhD in a Faculty of Science. Mm. Um, so I have to say no, like absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and and to be honest, I still you know, work around that, that question of am I a scientist um, with some challenge. Um, I'm a social scientist, really confident of that. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I still um, find it tricky at times to think through the question of am I a scientist and how does my uh, understanding of science uh, fit in this space? That's really interesting because I guess science is um, quite a broad label, but it also has a lot of baggage and a lot of things that we sort of associate with it. So we might be doing science, but not necessarily always feel comfortable saying, yes, I'm a scientist without (laughs) saying a a type of scientist or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you're probably right that that feeling of discomfort of am I a scientist is more broad mm. you know I, I find it more comfortable to talk about you know biophysical scientists and social scientists and you know different types of scientists and yeah. then then I feel that my place is a little bit more comfortable but I think when people talk about scientists as a general collective it's a little bit hard sometimes to know uh, how I fit <laughs> yeah yeah what do you think is the biggest misconception about environmental psychology or about the area that you're working in well, the one that the everyday one is mm-hmm. people—it's uh, a joke, but it, I guess it, it reflects people's you know lack of images for for, the, for this kind of field. Is people will say, "So you talk with trees, or you know you psychoanalyze trees, oh, or wow. you hug trees," uh-huh. <laughs> which is um, so yeah. sort of counseling <laughs> the environment rather than yeah yeah yeah. It. So seeing my interest as being uh, in the environment only rather than I guess understanding that my interest is in I guess it's in the relationship between people and environments that's the really interesting bit but of course we're quite dependent on understanding that through the experiences and behavior of people because they're easy to ask questions yeah (laughs) yeah I wanted to ask you about connection with nature it's certainly a key theme that's cropping up in lots of places and you know an awful lot about why is it something we should care about you know connection with nature is an interesting like you know there's just so much to chew on there because we could talk for half an hour about what's nature you know as a starting point so I'll I'll kind of you know (laughs) just say simply that you know when I talk about nature I absolutely personally I think of humans as part of nature and so when I say Mm -hmm. nature I'm not talking about something that's out there I'm talking about the air that we breathe the sunshine that shines on us um, the mice that are probably calling around this office as we speak (laughs) Um, you know (laughs) nature is a big thing yeah yeah (laughs) and we are certainly part of it when I when I use that terminology I'm interested in how people in very very different ways um, understand and make sense of and relate to the rest of this world basically let's park that issue for a little bit you know it's part of what's interesting for me rather than trying to oversimplify that when we think about connections with nature I think about it something that has multiple dimensions it's the way that we feel 
you know, we can go into a place and think this is incredibly beautiful, I love this, you mm-hmm. know, it's a feeling or we can see something that freaks us out and, you know, that snake <laughs> I am terrified of. There, There's feelings. There's also, I guess, um, aspects of our identity that we can we can link ourselves or not link ourselves with the rest of, of the natural world in particular ways. So we, you know, we might identify as a mammal potentially. Uh-huh. And so, you know, link with other animals that have similar similar ways of being. Or we might make links in terms of the way that we understand mind. Um, so we you know, think of some creatures as being sentient and like us in some ways mm-hmm. and other creatures as being very different from us. And you know, one of the classic things is that we often think of plants quite differently from animals and we don't relate to them as easily because mm-hmm. we think of them as very different from ourselves and not having any kind of same experience of mind in that same way. Um, there's also dimensions of kind of the bigger worldview, like how do we abstractly, you know, imagine human relations with the rest of nature and how that should be or is, the way that I introduced it by saying this is my personal belief, this is my yeah. kind of ideology, <laughs> I guess. Um, and then it bleeds into behaviour. You know, we see that as shaping behaviour. And so it's it's not a – it's far from the only thing that shapes humans' relationships with nature, but it is one of the important factors, I believe, and the evidence would suggest in shaping uh, our behaviour towards other species and shaping our behaviour towards ecosystems. So there are um, correlations certainly between the way that people think and feel about the rest of the nature rest of nature and what we actually do. So there's important reasons to ask that question from mm. a practical point of view, but of course it's it's also really intriguing and I think sparks important conversations about who we are as a society and the kind of people we we understand ourselves to be. Along the way in your career, have you been given any great or any terrible advice? someone very early in my like I mean it's often the the kind of worn out sayings that actually you know stick in your mind but I remember someone you know early in my career saying it's better to ask forgiveness than permission and I still think that's excellent (laughs) advice um uh, you know probably not for everyone perhaps some people (laughs) need to ask permission a little bit more often than they do but certainly for myself I know when I started off in my career I was probably looking around for guidance a little bit Mm. um more than is ideal and I think um, you have to quite quickly learn to trust yourself learn to make decisions um, to go to people with suggestions and solutions and ways forward rather than um, looking for guidance all the time so very early in my career that was probably one of the most important pieces of advice I received. Something that has come up a lot with um, even with the Australian Academy of Sciences women in STEM report was that a distinct lack of role models at, at each level of your career. I imagine with your field being smaller than even most <laughs> most ecological type fields in Australia, did you have any role models or mentors? 
It's something I've do? really struggled with yeah. <laughs> because I've had so few, you know, people who around me who identify as environmental psychologists. That's been really tricky for me mm. to really um, to think about who do I want to be and how do I be. Yeah, and I would actually say that it's only been later in my career when I've felt that I've had other people who identified as environmental psychologists that I've been I've felt I've been able to observe closely enough and learn from yeah because in my early part of my career it was very hard to get to conferences um, mm. it was very hard to make international collaborations um, so it's actually only in recent years that I've felt like okay I know these people I can see their behavior and I can see how I can learn from them so that that yeah. has been a real struggle um, but of course you know we look for role models not just within our particular discipline yeah. but in general fields so as an academic in the early part of my career, there were very few women around mm. me who were in senior roles that that I had access to. I'm sure that they were there, but they were actually more difficult to have obs- you know, opportunities to watch them in motion yeah. and think about what I could learn from them. So I struggled with that. Um, I think probably one of the really decisive turns for me was doing a leadership program at this university so academic women in leadership program um, which gave me more opportunities to watch senior academics not not just women women and men um, but to watch them closely enough so there was for example a shadowing opportunity within that and that was just invaluable for walking alongside a really senior academic being able to go to their meetings, ask them questions about why they were saying or responding to mm-hmm. or what they were listening for in those meetings, that was probably the, one of the most invaluable opportunities in my life in terms of learning and being, you know, having having access to role models, I yeah. think, who I could learn from in a really active way. So I really encourage people to take up those opportunities. For me, shadowing was probably the most um, valuable way of learning because I could watch directly. I guess that leads very well into my my final question is, uh, do you have any advice for people at the earlier stages of their career. <laughs> so I guess I guess advice always comes out of your one's own experience and you yeah. know looking back at younger self and thinking, yeah. oh, I wish someone had told me that. I was talking with a group of people yesterday as part of the um, you know, new academics program here. And really what I the advice I would give to younger Kath yeah. <laughs> and, and which I gave to them yesterday was you know, you really have to actively tend your career. You can't just float along. And for a lot of people that I know, and I think particularly women probably, there's this sense of playing by the rules and waiting for someone to tell them, you know, to give them permission in their career Mm -hmm. to take particular pathways. And I think certainly for younger me, and and I, I don't think I'm alone in that, in you know benefiting from advice that really is saying um always ask tell people what you need tell people what you need spend time reflecting on what you need in your academic development and tell your supervisor what you need put forward a solution of what could help you develop um don't take the you know sometimes it's easy to respond to a frown or a you know a negative uh, the first no 
and say, okay, no, that door's not open to me. Often that's not what people are actually saying around you. They're, they're looking for you to propose a clearer solution. So if, you know, if there's not encouragement in the first instance, go back to reflection and come up with a clearer pathway forward. Come up, come up with a solution and propose it. Try again. Um, go beyond your immediate circles. Um, learn from the solutions that other people have posed. Yeah, it's, you know, understand that your supervisors are often very, very busy and may not be engaging with the strength of your ideas in the way that you hope they would up front. So try again. Be clearer. Provide a more vivid example or, um, you know, vision of how you can move forward. I think it, it, in part it's about really trusting and having confidence in your own capacity and sharing that with others and learning to communicate what you have to offer in a way that other people can hear more clearly. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been really wonderful. Thank you. You've been listening to Terrain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram using the handle Terrain Podcast. And of course, by searching Terrain Podcast in your favourite podcast app. All music is by Shauna Ellen O'Neill, who is a female composer from Sydney. Check out the show notes for links to hear more of her work. Talk to you soon.